We're either growing, moving forward in faith, or we're being weakened in faith. There can be no staying still with faith. Either growing or moving backward. John 4, verses 46 through 54. Hear the inerrant Word of God. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I pray that we would respond in ways where our faith would grow, that we would learn to expect great things from You and to attempt great things for You. We love You, we bless You, and I commit myself as a feeble servant and pray that You would uh, take me and use me and use this Word that is preached by quickening it by Your Spirit into our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. may be seated. Lord willing, next week we're going to get back into the book of Acts. Um, We've taken a long time to survey Acts, uh, but there is a passage we're going to be uh, looking at that talks about confidence in faith. This is one of John Calvin's uh, favorite subjects, but I thought since we've already had a break in this series, I wanted to give another sermon that will form kind of a background to what we're going to be talking about next week. And I think... This issue of growing in faith is really a critical one for three reasons. First of all, in the next couple of years, I think we're going to find a lot of shaking up going on in America, and people are either going to be driven to despair or growing in in faith, but it's important we understand this subject. But you know, it's not just in big critical times like that that we need faith. The second reason is that Jesus, or Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It means every day of our lives, we need to be living by faith. But what does that mean? Uh, Anything that is not of faith is sin. It's going to be burned up as hay, wood, and stubble. So we've got to understand this is not just a once a year, once a decade subject that we talk about. This is something that needs to be pervasive of our lives. And the third reason is that Scripture speaks of growing in faith. We either go forward or we move backward in our faith. Hebrews 11 speaks of the weakening of faith. Uh, Romans 1 talks about the weakening of faith, but it also speaks of strengthening of faith. Did you know that Scripture speaks of various degrees? In your outline, I've given a few Scriptures under the introduction. Matthew 6.30 speaks of little faith. Peter was the one who had little faith, and yet he walked on the water. Wow. If you could walk on water with little faith, what could you do with great faith? Um, And yet he was supposed to still grow. 
Second Thessalonians 1.3 says, Your faith is growing more and more. This should be true. This should be characteristic of the church. We're going from faith to faith. We're constantly growing. By the way, that little phrase does not make sense if you take the view of faith that it's just intellectual assent. Uh, this is more than that. Um, in in uh, Matthew 8.10, it speaks of great faith. 2 Corinthians 8.7 says you abound in faith. Romans 4.20 says of Abraham that he was strengthened in faith. Here's a giant of the faith, and yet it says he still needed to be strengthened in faith. Now, we may wish we could enter into the level right now of where Abraham was at or where George Mueller or other greats were at, but they got there gradually over time. They were growing in their faith just like we are called uh, to grow step by step in our faith. And I think Dominion Covenant Church has got all kinds of things. We need to have a vision that is bigger than ourselves. And as we face a preaching point and as we face uh, needs for staff and other issues, uh, as we're seeking to take this part of this world for King Jesus, there is a call for faith. Okay, Roman numeral one. First thing that we see in this nobleman is that he sensed his need for Christ. He sensed his need. His need was a sickness that God had brought into his son's life. And before we even get into the text, I want to exhort you not to look at the needs that you have as your enemies, as something bad. These are the absolute foundation of faith. If you don't sense your need, you're not going to need faith. Faith presumes a sense of need. And you might uh, think, well, if that's the case, I don't want to have a life of faith <laughs> because we're scared to death of needs, aren't we? We're constantly trying to protect ourselves from ever having any needs in our lives. But on the other hand, there's going to be a bunch of you who are ver going to be very encouraged because you seem like you have nothing but needs in the last few weeks. Let me assure you, your need is the first prerequisite for faith, and you may be growing in faith through these needs more than other people who don't sense them. So that's the, the first thing that I want to encourage you about. Hebrews 11 gives us a part of its definition of faith that it is the title deed of things hoped for. If you're still hoping for some things, you haven't got them yet, right? Which means you have a need. If you don't have a need, there's no place for faith. Okay, faith always presumes a need. Uh, if the need's already fulfilled, you're not called to exercise something new. On the other hand, if God instills within you a burden to see our church accomplishing things which you cannot accomplish with your own resources, only God's supernatural grace can accomplish, you're going to be thrust into the realm of faith. If you believe things for your family that go way beyond your comfort zone, that go beyond what you could accomplish in your own strength, you're going to be walking in the area of faith. But if you're satisfied with the status quo and you're just quite content to uh, go along, then you're not really walking in the realm of faith. There's really only two options. You sense your need, which means that you're going to be walking by faith, or you don't sense your need, in which case God has to force you to sense your need. He's going to bring something into your life so that uh, you will grow in faith because He loves you. He wants you to grow in faith as a part of our process of living down here below. Look at verses 46 through 47. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where He had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. 
When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So it was sickness that made him come to see Jesus, and God often has to send calamity into our lives in order to stir up faith to seek him. Don't see those as negative. Those are opportunities for you to grow. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, because Abraham didn't have need. He was an incredibly wealthy uh, person uh, outwardly from a human perspective. Obviously, we all have need. But Abraham was a man of faith despite the fact that he had enormous riches. And it was because he was looking at life from a biblical perspective. He realized God could take away those riches in an instant, just like he had done with Job. And not only that, he had a vision that cast him way beyond what he was comfortable with living. God told him to go out not knowing where he was going. And we like to have everything wrapped up neatly in a box. If we don't know what the future holds, we just dig in our heels and we wait. We say, I've got to figure out everything in the future. He went out not knowing where he was going. He went beyond his comfort zone. And uh, many times people come to me and they're frustrated because God has not given them very much guidance. Actually, that's a blessing. It's a blessing. Uh, God wants you to go based on the knowledge that you already have. Why would he give you more guidance if you're not already following the guidance he's given to you? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So God gives you new insight, new guidance as you're walking in faith and uh, He does not give more guidance when you are failing to do so. Hebrews tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. So I really don't want to brush over this first point very quickly because some of you guys do not see your needs as being your friends. They really are your friends. You need to embrace them and say, Lord, thank you for trusting me again with this need in my life. I have uh, a, a difficult people to live with. Uh, I've got uh, financial situations that are beyond uh, my abilities. And it needs to energize you and excite you. Say, thank you, Lord. I, I know you're working all things together for my good. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to bring uh, out of this. Instead, what we let happen is we allow these needs to take the wind out of our sails and for us to get discouraged. Perhaps your need is that your husband is not where he should be. And you're really frustrated with your husband. And uh, you've tried now for 20 years to change your husband, and it's not worked. And God says, I want you to walk in the realm of faith. I don't want you to be trying to control this situation. Now that you recognize that this is a need, that this is way beyond what you can accomplish, you can just say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to be like Jacob, trying to manipulate and trying to control uh, the situation. I'm going to be a woman of faith. I'm going to believe you to change my husband in your perfect timing. And in the meantime, I'm going to believe you for me to live in a difficult circumstance. I want to live in joy. I want to live with faith. I want to live with hope. And uh, that's what it means to live by faith. Too many times I think we kill our faith. We short-circuit our faith through grumbling, through complaining. In fact, those are the chief things that 1 Corinthians 10 says that the Jews were being judged for. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we grumble, when we complain, we're, not, we're doing the opposite. We're turning our back on faith. And so... Uh, what we need to do is stir up faith rather than killing it. Now, Christ indicated that wealth frequently 
is another thing that is antithetical to a walk in faith. He says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle uh, than for a rich man to be saved. Now, from a human perspective, the disciples did not think, yeah, that's pretty difficult. You've got to unload the camel so he can go through that needle gate. There is no such thing as a needle gate. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a literal needle. Okay? They said, this is impossible. And Jesus said, yeah, it is impossible for anybody to be saved. Uh, but with God, all things are possible. Now, here's the issue. When he says that, that it's very difficult for us to have faith when we don't have sense our needs, um, he's not saying that it's bad to have wealth. He's saying that we need to learn to walk by faith before God can entrust us with those things because it's so easy for those things to kill our faith. Um, in case you think you're poor, uh, let me just remind you that even the poorest of you uh, who have a hard time paying your bills and putting food on the table are quite a bit more wealthy uh, than most people in the ancient world, probably more wealthy than this nobleman. If you've got a car, you can travel farther and faster than even kings in the ancient world dreamed of. If you've got electricity and uh, gas... You don't have to hire servants, you know, to chop your wood and some of the other things that they would do. No, you, you've already got those servants uh, in your home. If you've got washing machines to wash your clothes, if you've got telephones, you don't have to send, hey, could you take this errand across town and tell these people I need such and such? No, you just instantly call them up. We are vastly wealthy compared to what the poor were considered back then. And that means we're in the situation of this nobleman who had a hard time sensing his need. He didn't need to worry about where his next meal was going to come. He didn't need to worry about a whole lot in terms of physical circumstances. So God was bringing something into his life to help make him recognize uh, his need. I think that's the point of Mark 10. Now, here's the exciting part. Once you've learned to walk by faith, God doesn't need to bring those financial challenges into your life. He doesn't need to bring the impossible people to live with. He doesn't need to bring all of these catastrophes that uh, He sometimes brings into people's lives to stir them into faith. Why? Because you've learned moment by moment to be living uh, by faith. And uh, there are so many things that can uh, call us, uh, that can call us to that. Um, the nobleman... Uh, here uh, had an outward physical thing, but there can be many areas that uh, challenge us. It could be a financial need, a child who is uh, sick, a uh, difficult spouse, another uh, pressure that is out there. Maybe it's even witnessing to your neighbor. The thought of that might just terrify you. And you think, oh, Lord, I could never do that. That's so way beyond my comfort zone. God says, walk by faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Reaching your children's hearts receiving guidance from the Lord, seeking wisdom and provision, stepping out and saying as a church, we're going to uh, have multiple pastors. We're going to have other lay leaders. Uh, we're going to have resources. Hebrews 10.38 says the just shall live by faith. Not just they'll get saved by faith. Yes, that's absolutely true. But they're going to continue to live by faith. And on this four, first point, I want to challenge you to seek God's face for a greater vision than what you can accomplish. Because what you can accomplish in your own strength if that's how you're accomplishing it, then it's going to be burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. You know, my wife can manage the household and wash dishes and sew and do different things, 
as unto the Lord and uh, uh, as a service to Him and in a transformational way, or she can just do it as uh, any other pagan would do it. One is with faith, the other is without faith. Everything we do can be done either with faith or it can be done without faith. And I believe God wants us to go beyond our comfort zones into the area of need. Okay, second step is to seek Christ's face in prayer. You're never going to grow in faith if you're not growing in prayer. Uh, all of the great men of faith of the past, whether it's a George Mueller or others, they grew into that by being involved in prayer. Now look at verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. Now it took some time out of his busy schedule. It took some energy. It took some inconvenience for him to come and implore Jesus. And in the same way, to be involved in prayer today takes some inconvenience. It takes time out of our schedule. It takes some energy to go out and seek the face of the Lord. Now here's the problem that many times happens. We do have a big need. This is point number one. We sense that need, but instead of going to the Lord now with this need, we are striving in our own strength, just like Jacob in the old days did. You know, God, the reason He made him lame when he's facing Esau, He says, okay, Jacob, enough of this, trying to strive in your own strength. I'm going to make you lame so you can't run from Esau. I want you to realize you have to live by faith. But um, uh, the... Uh, the problem is we try to desperately fulfill the need by grueling hours in our schedule, scheming, begging others. And while faith is very active, we're going to get to that in a bit. We're not saying be passive here. Its core is dependence upon Christ. If we can do it ourselves, there's no need for faith. If we can do it ourselves, there's no need for faith. So let's let the need and the burden of point one drive us to prayer. Because really, if your burden, your vision of what God wants you to do is really from God, you're not going to be able to accomplish it anyway. Not in your own strength. Uh, God's callings upon our lives are way beyond our own strength. And he, His burdens cause us to seek His face for Him to work. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So there is diligence involved, but it's diligently seeking Him. My diligence has often gone in the exact opposite direction. My diligence has been, oh, I've got to get busy real quick. I don't have time for prayer. I've got to start fulfilling this burden. I love to work, and my first impulse is to work. My first impulse is not to pray. In fact, I have to grab myself by the scruff of the neck uh, to pray, and that's a sad testimony but I realize I must, I must come uh, in, in prayer to, to the Lord. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who, says, diligently seek Him. So here's the question. Are you diligently seeking the Lord in prayer? That's the question. I think the activity of so many churches is not the activity of faith, it's the activity of the possible. Okay? And I'm praying that God would give us such a burden, a vision that is so awesome, so big, that none of us would think we could do it on our own. That's point number one. And we would see this vision as driving us to prayer, point number two. And point number three is a confidence that His Word does have the specifics and applies to the specifics of life. 
when Jesus said, go your way, your son lives, he was able to go with a confidence that his son was healed. Now, that's an interesting thing. I think that's a God-given thing. We can't stir that up in our own selves. Some people try to stir up their faith uh, in themselves. No, this is a gift of God. It's, it's a God-given thing. Let me, let me define faith so that you can see what we're talking about, and I think I've put that into your outlines. Um, faith is said to be the mysterious surge of confidence which arises within a person as he claims God's Word for a specific situation or need and becomes certain of God's answer. Okay? The need has not been fulfilled yet, but in the heavenlies, God has given His decree and God has given to us this faith, this assurance that He has indeed answered. Now let's look at this aspect of faith in the nobleman. He starts off with a lower level of faith. He starts off believing that Jesus is able to do it, and this leads him to prayer. He asks Christ to come, but Christ changes the plans, and He says... Okay, just go your way. I don't even need to come. Just go your way. He gives him a bare assurance. He wants him to believe the bare assurance that a miracle would happen before he sees the miracle. Now, Jesus knows the other Jews aren't there. He says in verse 48, unless you people, and that's the plural there, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Very easy to believe when there are signs and wonders happening all around us. Um, but what is hard to believe is that God will come through before our need is met. And when you look at uh, men of faith like George Mueller, one of the testimonies that you'll see over and over again is at some point God gives them an assurance that He has indeed uh, answered. It's, a, it's an assurance that is there. And I'm going to share with you a, a, um, a, a testimony along these lines from somebody who was witnessing Mueller. Mueller didn't always have that right away. Sometimes he prayed and prayed and prayed for years before God gave him an assurance that he had indeed, indeed answered and could stop praying. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. He hasn't seen the miracle yet, but he's got the assurance. And let me give a couple of other definitions that are in your outline. Dunn says, It gives the person a transrational certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or action. It's transrational, but it's an assurance. Flynn says, It's a spirit-given ability to see something that God wants done and to sustain unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable obstacles. And uh, I think some, God has burdened some of you with uh, this vision, this sense of need of their overwhelmingly impossible situations, seemingly impossible obstacles. And what I want to call you to is believe God. Live a life of faith. Uh, the story I'm going to tell you about is uh, one that I've given to you before, but I just love the story, so I have to share uh, it again. Uh, George Mueller was traveling on a ship to a conference, and this is told by the captain of the ship. He said, We had George Mueller of Bristol on board. I had been on the bridge for 24 hours and never left it, and George Mueller came to me and said, Captain, I've come to tell you I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. It's impossible, I said. Then very well, if your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? For I never heard of such a thing as this. 
Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He knelt down and he prayed one of the most simple prayers. When he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. As you do not believe, he will answer, and as I believe, he has. There is no need whatsoever for you to pray about it. (laughs) I looked at him, and George Mueller said, "Um, I have known my Lord for 57 years. There has never been a single day when I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain. Open the door, and you will find the fog has gone. I got up, and the fog indeed was gone, and on that Saturday afternoon, George Mueller kept his promised engagement. Now remember, there are levels of faith that God talks about, and I think George Mueller had what is sometimes called the gift of faith. Okay, It's a, a, just a special measure of faith that God gives to certain people. But all faith follows this kind of pattern. All faith follows that, even if it's not a gift of faith. Once the assurance was given to this nobleman, it would have been stupid, it would have been foolish for him to say, Oh, please, Lord, you've got you've to gotta come and heal my son. And Jesus says, Go, your son is healed. Oh, please, Lord, you've got to come and heal my son. You can see that would be disobedience. That would be rank unbelief for him to say that. God's already assured him that the healing uh, has, has happened. I've had times in our ministry in this church where our family has felt prompted to spend some time in prayer and fasting And midway through the time of fasting that we had scheduled, God gave to me such a strong sense of assurance that the answer has already been given that I felt He wanted us to get up and feast and celebrate the answer to the prayer, even though we haven't seen it yet. And sure enough, God had indeed miraculously uh, answered that prayer. This is uh, all guided by the Word, but John Calvin points out that faith has a deep-seated... God-given assurance that goes beyond mere intellectual deduction. It's not presumption, and it's not mere deduction. Calvin said assurance is the essence of faith. So let me give those definitions again. Faith is the mysterious surge of confidence which arises within a person as he claims God's Word for a specific situation or need and becomes certain of God's answer. Here's the second one. It gives the person a transrational certainty and assurance that God is about to act through a word or action. And here's the third one. It is a spirit-given ability to see something that God wants done and to sustain unwavering confidence that God will do it regardless of seemingly insurmountable uh, uh, obstacles. So don't mistake presumption for this God-given assurance that Calvin speaks about. Now, the next step is critical as well. We are to act upon that assurance. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, "'Go your way, your son lives.'" So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. He went his way. There was action that needed to be taken. Now Joshua, when he went across the the Jordan River, when did God actually part the river? It wasn't at the moment that Joshua had faith. Joshua had faith the moment God commanded him to go over the river, which was quite some time before. He had the principle of faith within him. But it was not until they took the action and their feet touched the water that the waters were parted. This is an absolutely critical part of growing in faith. There are a lot of people who believe in their heart, but they're not taking the actions, and so they don't achieve the results. So close! 
but no cigar. It's a stillborn baby. Okay? James says that faith without action is a dead faith. It's a useless faith. And so it's an essential step. Now, some years ago, I gave an illustration that applied to salvation, but I think it equally applies to this whole issue of living by faith as well. It was about the tightrope artist Blondin. Blondin did a, a, a show at Niagara Falls. They stretched a line across uh, the river right over where the, the falls were at. And uh, he did all kinds of things out there. He did a backwards flip on the line. He walked across on stilts. Uh, he took a chair out there and balanced on two legs on the, on the wire. He took a stove out there, cooked an omelet, and ate the omelet uh, while he's balancing on this chair. And then as a finale to this uh, wonderful act, he put a balance beam in his mouth, had a specially made wheelbarrow, and he took it up to the audience, and they're all wildly cheering, and he asked them, do you think that I could take a man across this line. Of course, everybody thinks, yeah, that's great. They're, they're clapping. And he talks to a little boy. He says, Sonny, do you think that I could take uh, a boy across uh, the Niagara Falls on this, uh, on this wheelbarrow? And he nodded his assent. He said, well, great. Get in, and I'll take you over. And the kid's eyes got real big, and he said, no, sir. <laughs> he was not about to get into that wheelbarrow. Now, he believed that Blondin could do it, but he didn't believe enough that he was willing to entrust himself and his safety into the hands of Blondin. This is where action is a demonstration. It's the living out. It's the fruit of faith that causes our faith to grow. And so what I want uh, you to do is to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is the chapter of faith. And I want you to notice all of the different action verbs that are found in this chapter of faith. Now, it's true, he starts off by talking about an intellectual dimension uh, to this, uh, uh, this faith in verse 3, but even this is not walking by sight because it's talking about believing something that happened 6,000 years ago. Some, we weren't there. We didn't see it. Okay? And it's believing something that pagans scoff at. Take a look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. It takes faith to believe that. You know, if you're teaching your kids six-day creationism, you reject evolutionism, and uh, you have the arguments from the Bible against that, what you are doing is you are walking by faith because when we look around us, there's no evidence... Uh, per se, that everything came from nothing. We think everything comes from something because that's all of our experience. So even right off the bat, even though there's an intellectual dimension to it, it still requires uh, the, the, uh, an action. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered. There's the verb there. There's an action. Verse 6, there's coming, there's diligence. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. Look at verse 9. By faith he sojourned. Verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received strength. Verse 17. By faith Abraham offered up Isaac. These are all actions. Verse 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob. Verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped. Verse 24. By faith Moses refused to be called something. Verse 25. Choosing. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt. Later he endured. 
Verse 28, kept. Verse 29, passed through. Verses 33 and 34, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Can you see how there is... Faith is not passive. It's, not pa- it's always active. And there's a modern movement, it's even crept into the reform circles, that says it's merely intellectual assent. That's not biblical. The moment God gives assurance, faith lets us take action for His kingdom. And so this brings us to point five. Faith grows as it gives God the glory. Now, unfortunately, what many people substitute for faith gives something else glory, not God glory. Sometimes it gives the faith healer glory or it gives something else. But faith, if we're going to really grow in it, is always going to give God the glory. In your, I think I put in your bulletins a quote there, to believe only possibilities is not faith but mere philosophy. To believe only possibilities, not faith but mere philosophy. And I believe that the vision of this church does give God the glory because when it is accomplished, people won't be able to say, oh yeah, humans can achieve that. That would be something that God alone can achieve. This nobleman did not want this healing to be attributed to fluke chance or to natural healing or anything else. He inquires the exact hour when it happened. He writes it down so that for all time people will know this came as a result of what Jesus did. Verses 52 through 53. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. Now, there's all kinds of different ways in which we can rob God of His glory. I read through a pretty thick book, and there's other books that I have that try to explain away the miraculous. They say, well, that was for the age of the apostles. There's no miracles that happen today. And so here's story after story of wonderful things that they're explaining away, trying to say it's a natural. And then there's some that they say, well, we have no way of explaining this, but eventually we're going to come up with an explanation that does not require the supernatural. Well, when you have a stubborn presupposition that the supernatural cannot happen, you will not be able to live by faith in this way. I mean, it's going to... It's going to rob God of the glory. Other ways of robbing God of the glory is to forget to thank God when He answers your prayers. It robs God of the glory. Or to forget to speak to others of His glory. Another way is to act as if this miracle or this answer to prayer or however God does it, yeah, there was a one-time event, but that this is not something we should continue to expect from the Lord. Or to take credit for this ourselves. But if we want to grow in faith, we've got to constantly be giving the glory to God and saying, Lord, without You, I can do nothing. And I thank You that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want to end with the whole concept of entering into new levels of trusting God's working because point six relates to point five. Uh, Look at the last phrase of verse 53. Okay, it says, and he himself believed and his whole household. Now, was this the first time that this nobleman believed? Well, obviously not, because in verse 50, earlier it says, 
So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. So he already had faith. And actually before that he had faith. He had the faith to come to Jesus. Then verse 50 says he believed Jesus' word. Then verse 53 says he and his whole household believed. What's going on is he's he's not just believing for the past, he's believing God for new things in his life. And no doubt the next day he believed in the Lord again. And then he believed in the Lord again. In other words, he's entering into a life of faith. And as we take baby steps of faith and we see God's answers, we're led to take more steps, and it's a strengthening process. And we've got to be very careful. We don't rest on past accomplishments and say, Oh, yeah, Sonny, in my days, in the old days, uh, yeah, we had some great miracles. And the son's going to say, Well, where are the miracles now? You know, where are the things you're trusting God for now? We need to be like Caleb. Who, he was in his 80s, wasn't he, when he said, give me this mountain. Faith just kept driving him on to new accomplishments for the Lord. And if we cling to the past, we're unwilling to embark on change, we are automatically going to weaken our faith. Romans 4.19 says of Abraham, without weakening in his faith. Now it's indicating that is an ever-present danger with us, but it says without weakening in his face, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. You can see why he could have been easily weakened in his faith when you're faced with an obstacle like that. But it says, without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Your faith is either going forward or backward. It's either being strengthened or it is being weakened. And it's my prayer that as our congregation prays for new interns and hires new pastors and starts new preaching points and raises new lay leaders and seeks to pursue goals that require trust in God, that the whole congregation would grow in faith. Romans 1.17 words it this way, that we might go from faith to faith. So you're just going, this faith to this faith to this faith. I, I like that expression. And so may God receive the glory. We need to be a people of faith because we're a people who are constantly seeking God's supernatural in our lives. One more quote in your handout. It says, Faith will beget in us three things. Vision... Venture, victory. May it do all three in us. Amen. Father, we thank You for the illustrations that You strew all through the Scriptures of the importance of walking by faith. And Father, I pray that we would never stop uh, walking by faith, growing in faith, trusting You for even the smallest details in our lives. Uh, You have said whatever is not of faith is sin. Father, we want to uh, even do the dishes uh, to Your glory by faith in Christ Jesus. Father, You have said that all things are upheld by the Word of Your power. And Father, may we by faith realize that the only reason there is a terra firma and there are solid objects and we're not all dissolving into nothingness is because these things are made stable by Your sure promises, Your sure foundation, Your sure power. Father, help us to be a people of faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.